I don't know, it may just be me, but uh, I really got a feeling like we could catch fire and have a great season, huh? Welcome to Season 7 of the Raise Your Game Show, a podcast that unpacks proven principles and actionable strategies for high performance in sports and business. And now, here is your host, a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of Raise Your Game, Alan Stein Jr. Do you know who I am? No. I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Really? People know me. Hey, 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 thank you so much for tuning in and investing your attention with me. In today's episode, I chop it up with Steve Magnus, a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of several outstanding books, including Peak Performance and The Passion Paradox, which he co-authored with the equally impressive Brad Stuhlberg. He is the host of the Growth Equation podcast and one of my favorite thought leaders to follow on Twitter, at Steve Magnus. Check out stevemagnus.com for info on his books, speaking, and coaching. I sure hope you enjoy my conversation with Steve Magnus. Let's kind of first start to unpack just peak performance, which I know you are a world-renowned expert in. And then I want to kind of transition that into sustaining peak performance for long periods of time, which again, I know you'll add so much value. So kind of talk to me, uh, and I know this is a very open-ended and loaded question, but some of the major pillars of what someone needs to do, whether in sports or business, to achieve peak performance. Yeah, there's a lot of different ways we can go in, in that direction. But I think, you know, well, let me step back. In my career, I was an athlete who was really good but failed to live up to my, say, my potential. So what that did was put me on this path to understand performance and understand what it took to get to that level, but not only get to that level, which is what you talked about, but also sustain, which is a problem I had, which was I got to really high levels, but then just kind of plummeted off the face of the earth with my performance. So like having that background led me to understand or search for like, okay, what, what are these people doing? And not only in the athletic performance realm, but entrepreneurs, businesses, executives, like to me, performance is performance. We just apply it in different avenues. So with that kind of understanding concept and setting out to like answer that question, I just did two things. Talk to as many performers who had done that and then also combine that with my like scientific background and, and reading what the research said. And although it's super complex, I think you can narrow it down onto a couple different pillars, which is one, performers are really good at like understanding when to push and then when to pull back to allow them to recover so that they can push hard when they need to. What you, what you tend to see is that people who don't quite make it is they, they understand that they need to be motivated and driven and push really hard, but they try and do it to such a degree and that, that it's not sustainable and it's not done at the right times. Like my example in the sporting world, which I, I know you'll appreciate it as, as a basketball guy, is that if you look at LeBron James, for example, right? 
the distance covered in games for him is really low. Like he, he tends to almost like, if you look at some of the advanced stats, he tends to almost like walk a little bit and recover and not cover, not move as much as other guys. But then if you look at the stink periods, he is like all in like moving high quality and what, what, what I mean by that is he knows when to flip the switch, when it's to go all in, and then he knows when to like recover and like save up that energy where he doesn't need to needlessly be running around the court to like, so that he can go all in. And you see the same thing in world-class soccer players like Messi, you see the same play thing in world-class entrepreneurs and business executives who know when the space is to go all in and when to pull back so that they are almost like storing that energy so that they can, you know, have it for when they actually need it. I mean, it's, yeah, when you take someone like LeBron, his, his efficiency is unparalleled. I think part of that's rolled into his basketball IQ and his understanding of how to be as effective as possible and talk about sustaining greatness. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's closing in on almost a two decade career and he's arguably better now than he has ever been. And you just don't see that. So now I'm loving every word of what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, it's such a, it's such a great example and such phenomenal to watch. The other, you know, another big pillar that I found is that really good performers set themselves up to perform. So it doesn't just happen by happenstance. Rigging their environment and their attitude and moods and behaviors to set themselves up to perform to their best. I call it priming that's because that's what the research calls it. But it's essentially what do you have to do to reach your potential or set yourself up? I think a lot of times we make this mistake of thinking like, oh, performance just comes naturally. Like I've put in the work, like I've got the talent. When it's time to show up on game day or it's time to give my big presentation, I've done the work, I'm ready to go. But you have to intentionally prime yourself to be in that performance state because you know we're not all walking around uh, prepared to like reach our potential and whatever that is at any given moment. You know, if, if I didn't know I was coming on your show and you just called me up and said, Steve, come talk about performance. Could I pull something off? Sure, but it wouldn't be my best, mm -hmm. right? I wouldn't be able to answer these questions. I'd be fumbling around. I'd be a little unsure of where to go, okay? But because I'm saying, okay, I've got a podcast. I've got this important podcast at noon with Alan. That means the 30 minutes before I'm setting myself up to say, hey, I need to prepare to talk about these topics. And not only that, but I need the energy behind it to do so. Because if Alan, if you were, if you and I were to have a conversation and we just, you know, met at a bar or at, or had drinks, right? I'm generally an introverted person. I hate talking. Oh <laughs> you know, I I despise it. I'm I'm a much better listener and observer than I am a talker. But because like only way these ideas get conveyed is if we talk and communicate about them. I know I have to set myself up and put myself in the position. No difference than if, you know, we were, if I was having to give a speech or, a, you know, a, a major talk, I'd have to sit there and put myself in the headspace to be able to perform. One of my favorite examples of this from writing the book, Peak Performance, 
was in talking with a drummer, Matt Billingsley, who has been a drummer for some of the best uh, artists in, in the world, including he's done work with Taylor Swift. And when I was talking to him, I said, hey, like, how do you get ready to go on stage in front of, you know, tens of thousands of people, knowing that like, if, if you mess up, you're, you're messing up potentially one of the biggest artists in the world. Like, what is like that? And he said, oh, that, that's simple. My background is in personal training. That's what I did to put myself through, like being able to become a drummer. The same thing, the same attitude I took towards getting ready to, you know, uh, go for a run at my best performance, lift the most weights that I could, is the same attitude I take towards getting ready to drum. I have to get my body physically ready, which means some sort of warm-ups, right? And then I have to get my, my mind mentally ready, which means some sort of practice or routine that puts me in the right headspace to be able to perform. I can't just walk on the stage and be like, okay, I've done this, you know, probably thousands of times. Let's go. I have to actively put myself in position to do that. Oh man. I mean, there's so much gold there to unpack and let's, let's look at both scenarios. So first let's go back to kind of LeBron's efficiency and high performers efficiency to know when to turn it on, uh, which then I can only assume that this, this kind of hustle porn of grind 24 seven, never sleep, always go at it. That that's propagated on social media everywhere we turn. It's on the front of t-shirts um, is obviously a mistake or a pitfall if your goal is, is very high performance. So that's one thing that, that I, I, I'm so glad that we're in alignment on. And then the other is this, this priming that you're talking about. And you know, uh, if we continue to use LeBron as an example, you know, he knows that tip off is tonight at 7 p.m. And he's got a, a strategy, a routine, a system in place that he's, he's massaged over the last few years to make sure that at tip off, he's at his best. Now, if all of a sudden the Lakers said, never mind, we're going to play at noon and it's 1130, uh, would he be able to, to quickly get it together and still be a pretty good player? Yeah, of course, he's LeBron James, but he wouldn't be near as effective or as efficient as when he can strategically figure out how to prime. So I, I love the way that you've unpacked both of those, if I'm hearing you correctly. Yeah, you're spot on. And I think those are great, great examples. And, you know, I, I, I think it's worth putting a pin in that like hustle culture, mm -hmm. because we're, we're not saying that like, hey, you don't need to work hard, right? What we're saying is that like this idea of, oh my gosh, I need to be on 24 seven, I need to grind all the time. It just doesn't work in the sense, and we know this, from an athletic standpoint, right? If I said like, okay, I need to like, I need to lift weights like every day as heavy as I could possibly. What happens? Like you don't get better. You, you burn out, you get worse. Like eventually your body can't adapt. Well, it's the same for like mental pursuits as well. We don't have this like unlimited supply of energy that's going to keep us going. The way we get better is to you know, stress ourselves, back off a little bit, recover, allow our body to adapt and grow and then come back again. And I think that's what you're, that's, that's the idea is it's not, hey, don't work hard, don't grind. It's understand like grind at the right times and then give yourself enough space so that you can adapt and grow from it. So you can do it again. Where do you think that got lost in translation, especially when it comes to entrepreneurship and businesses where, you know, I feel like entrepreneurs in particular 
they wear that as a badge of honor. They're proud of the fact that they don't sleep and that, you know, they go to bed at two and they wake up at four. Uh, and, and coming from the athletic world, I've always felt that was nonsense. And when I hear people say stuff like, I'll sleep when I'm dead, uh, my retort to that is usually, well, that's going to happen a lot sooner than you think because you're not taking care of yourself and this concept of self-care. So I'm wondering, where did we get off the rails on that? Yeah, it's a good question. And, you know, honestly, coming from the athletic realm, it, it's something you just intuitively know, right? Because inevitably, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, like me, like almost every other athlete, like we've pushed too far too fast and seen the repercussions. And we've listened to that feedback and said, okay, no, I can't do this. I've got to do this smarter if I'm going to get better. And I think, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, I think sometimes we have this like survivor bias where we start to see like, okay, this person make it, this person grinded, like this, this must be the answer. And we don't have like that immediate feedback of like, oh my gosh, this isn't sustainable because like, if you look at some of this like grind mentality and I'm generalizing here, but the answer is if you're not successful, what is the answer they give you? Well, you're not working hard enough. Yeah. Right. So the, the answer is like to double down your effort. And it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, oh, you haven't reached that success yet. Well, it's because you're not working hard enough. So obviously you're not grinding enough. So it's like that feedback doesn't come back that maybe like what we experience as an athlete of an injury, right? That's that immediate feedback where it says, okay, like obviously this wasn't the path to take. I've got to figure out another path to get successful. Oh, yeah, I, I think you're probably right with that. And it's, it's just the easiest default, because you can always just tell someone, well, you need to work harder. Um, and then they, they often forget, well, how about work smarter? And how about being more consistent with doing both instead of just, just that blanket statement? Well, well, let's pivot again now talking about the, the priming. You know, I, I know for me, what I would be so fascinated to see, uh, let, let's use LeBron, and let's even use Tom Brady, uh, another world-class Hall of Famer who's pushing two decades of, of elite-level work. I would love to see their pregame routine, their rookie year, and their pregame routine now, and the changes that they've made through their maturity and experience to priming. I mean, I, I've been a, a professional keynote speaker for four years now, and I can tell you just even in a short window of four years, the way I prime myself for a keynote talk, I, I'd like to believe has gotten better, has elevated through some trial and error, so, so talk to me just about kind of the, your recommendation or the system for honing and developing the best way to prime yourself for whatever it is that you're trying to be a lead at. Yeah, definitely. You know, I, I often think of like, man, I wish I could go back to my younger self and tell him like, hey, do this, like follow this path instead. Because as an athlete, a lot of times I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I had a routine, but looking back years later, you're like, oh gosh, I wasn't setting myself up, right? I was letting things be haphazard. And I think when we're, we're looking at a routine or looking at how to prime ourselves, um, a lot of it is um, twofold. There's a couple things that are just like general that the work almost no matter what. And then there's understanding the individuality of who you are as a person and where you need to go, right? So to me, it starts with understanding what kind of performance state or environment are you trying to get yourself into, right? If I'm playing basketball and I have 82 games in a year, right? 
and I'm, you know, flying from one city to the next and getting ready, that's completely different demand than if I'm playing football and have 16 games separated by a week, right? And I can almost like in football with a game a week, I can almost gradually bring myself to a place, expend it, like get myself extremely hyped and ready to go and then come down off of that. If I tried to apply the same thing in basketball, there's not a lot enough space. So a lot of it is understanding what are the demands I'm trying to get ready for. And what I mean by that is like, what sort of mental and physical level of what we call like arousal do we need to be ready to match what I'm, I'm about to face, right? And that starts, that's where it starts with understanding where you need to be on this like performance spectrum. And then that determines what you need to do from a physical standpoint and from a mental standpoint to get there. So that's, that's where I kind of start with this stuff. And then I think the other part of it is like this individuality of it is understanding, trying different things and seeing what works for you. So it's like stepping back and saying, hey, did this work well? Did this not work well? Well, I need to I need to adjust what I'm trying to do and almost taking note of that. I'm sure, you know, in my own speaking or in my own podcasting career and my athletic career, I tr I I have a like little journal that I keep track of of like what went well to set me up in a state and what didn't go well. And I think the only other thing that I'd I'd add in here is that when we talk about routines, a lot of times people mistake it for being like these very strict things to get you to a state. But your routine needs to have enough flexibility built into it so that you can pivot if for some reason you're higher or lower in terms of your nervousness or anxiety than you normally tend to be or you're expected to be. Yeah. So it's in one sense, we need a secure you know, routine to get us to a place, but we need enough flexibility to pivot given the moment. And then the analogy I'd give there is uh, for LeBron, his routine is probably very similar for getting ready for game number 55 in the season to the game seven, but there's probably enough flexibility and differentiation to understand that game seven is going to require just a different state, a different level, a different approach based on I'm going to have this like increased expectation, increased anxiety coming into it just based on the environment around it. Absolutely. So well said. And, and, and of course, in athletics, there's some rigid consistency with when you play like start times of most NBA games, you know, or, or early evening. Um, but, but even in speaking, I may give an 8 a.m. opening keynote or I might have to give an 8 p.m. closing keynote. So there has to be some flexibility in how I prepare for those, those two different things. No, I, I think you're, you're right on point. Your, your two books are absolutely phenomenal and they are must reads for everyone. And there's two words or I guess phrases uh, in each subtitle of, of each book that I wanna talk about now. Uh, one is about this concept of, of beating burnout and not getting burnout. So that's the first one I'd love to, to unpack with you. And then the next was one that that sounds very counterintuitive to a lot of people. And that was living an unbalanced life. And I, I really liked the way that was phrased. So uh, we'll shelve that one at the moment. Talk to me about 
beating burnout. And now we're, we're really putting in, you know, to, to sustain excellence. And I know you've hit on it a little bit. Part of it is being able to conserve energy when necessary, turn the light switch on when you need it. So you can do that for longer periods of time. Anything else that jumps out at you on this concept of not getting burnt out? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest things is having a purpose and meaning towards the work you're doing. So what you, what you find, again, in the research and experience is that when, you, when the work you're doing has purpose or meaning behind it to you, um, you see lower levels of burnout, even given the same amount of work you're doing. So a lot of times people think burnout and they think that like, oh, it's putting in more work or effort than is sustainable, which is to degree true. But there's wiggle room in there based on um, how much meaning or purpose that, that you have. The way I like to describe this is by looking at my own world of, of distance running. So if you look at performance and running, right? We generally have, you know, based on our talent and the amount of work we've put in, we're able to run a certain time. Let's say for a, a mile, I can run, you know, a four minute and 10 second mile, right? That's, that's, that's my ability right now, okay? Um, but there's wiggle room between that performance based on how much it means to me. Mm. So if you look at the latest science, right? The latest exercise science, how far you can dive deep into that well of fatigue isn't limited based on necessarily your physical capacity. Your brain tends to stop you before you, you actually hit the limits of fatigue and you're collapsed on the ground, right? Your brain says, oh, nope, like we don't want to go there because largely like it's not worth, the risk isn't worth the reward, you know? But the interesting thing is we can minimize that to a degree based on the importance of purpose or meaning that something has. And we know this intuitively based on, um, you know, the examples we, that pop up every couple of years in the media where you see, oh, a mom lifts the car to save her child, right? Has superhuman strength. And a lot of times we blow off these examples, but there's actually research behind this uh, where they call it hysterical strength. Hmm where it's like people almost have this ability to um, approach the limits of what they were thought capable of based on, again, saying, you know what, forget the risk, like the reward, the purpose, the meaning is so powerful that we can do this, right? So you see these acts. Well, the same thing applies to our, our, our everyday life and burnout, okay? If we have purpose and meaning behind it, we can sustain higher levels of work, we can bounce back from failures quicker. We can deal with kind of the depths of fatigue that we normally um, experience to a better degree. So it's not only we can sustain more, that, but we bounce back more. And the interesting thing is, again, if you look at the research, is this doesn't just apply to, okay, great performances on the athletic field. Um, this applies to everyday workers. So... If you look at, for example, today's current, you know, pandemic, what they found is doctors, cleaning staff, nurses are going through a high level of burnout. Yeah. But one of the one of the things that is at least effective over the short and medium term is to like have reminders in there that they're not just doing this 
for themselves, right? Or for a paycheck is to literally help humanity. And will, will that work for, you know, years on end? No. But to get you through a six-month period, a nine-month period, like having that reminders will work. And they've done the same thing over years, periods of even simple things looking at uh, framing how you see the work, right? If you see a janitor and you call him a janitor, their burnout levels go up versus when you tell you know, the person who's cleaning that says, hey, your job is vital in this hospital because you are literally saving lives by helping disinfect and making sure that disease spread doesn't occur in this vital industry. You do that, their performance goes up and their level of burnout over their career goes down simply because their work has meaning that, that is greater than themselves. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. I recognize what a challenging year 2020 was, and I'd be honored to help your team elevate their mindset, optimism, and resilience in 2021. And I can do that with a customized keynote or workshop, either done virtually or in person. I'll share compelling and captivating stories and impactful lessons to teach your team how to utilize the mindsets, habits, and routines of world-class athletes. Whether in sports or business, I'll provide you and your team with proven, practical, actionable strategies that you can implement immediately to improve organizational performance, leadership, and culture. And this doesn't have to be a one-time standalone keynote or workshop, as I can create a progressive, sequential series of presentations to help reinforce key strategies and support implementation. If you are open-minded and committed to investing in your team, please visit allensteinjr.com today. So on an individual level, it's up to each and every one of us to continue to make sure we've got great clarity on our meaning and our purpose in whatever our work is. And if for any reason that starts to fade or dim, then we either need to find a way to get it back or we need to pivot into something else where we can reignite that spark. And then if I'm hearing you correctly, if, if I'm the leader of a team, a coach, uh, a CEO, a manager, then I want to make sure that I'm constantly helping improve the clarity of meaning and purpose with the people that, that work for me. I think your, your janitor example is, is absolutely brilliant. 100%. You're spot on. And I'm so glad that you brought up clarity there because that clarity piece is so important. And it's something that we often forget and take, take for granted. You know, in the athletic space, coaches almost take it for granted. Like, of course they have motivation. Of course they have meaning. We're trying to win the championship, right? But, you know, I was fortunate when I was in, in grad school, I took a class with uh, the former general manager of the Texans, uh, Charlie Casterly. Yeah. And he passed along this thing that has stuck with me for now decades later, is that he said, it, it's not just about the clarity for the coaches and the top players. It's making sure even the guy who never gets on the playing field has clarity in his purpose and the meaning and sees himself that he has a point on this team. Mm. And he was like, that's what I saw my job as, is making sure that we didn't lose those people who often get neglected, right? And as a CEO or leader, I don't care if you're in the sporting world or the business world, like that is your purpose. Is like, you have to ensure that everybody like has a, has a purpose and meaning and not just the, 
hey, here's our vision statement, which becomes a slogan, right? It has to have meaning and connection to everyone in that, in that workplace. And I think that, you know, one of the things that we neglect is that that mood, that state is contagious and spreads, mm-hmm. right? We can either have a positive state that spreads and gets this contagion, or we can have this negative state that spreads and this get, gets this contagion. And as a leader, your job is, is to understand and make sure that that like positive mood energy is spreading amongst your, your cohort. And a large part of that is making sure people have that clarity on meaning and purpose that aligns with what the business is trying to do. For sure. Yeah, the best basketball coaches I've ever been around did a great job of making the 15th man feel just as connected, just as valuable, and was making a meaningful contribution as, as the starting five. And that's that's not an easy job to do, but that's why elite level coaches and elite level leaders are, are not a dime a dozen. And I think in addition to purpose and meaning, everyone wants to feel like they're contributing. I mean, when you've signed up to be a part of something bigger than yourself, you want to think no matter how small my puzzle piece is, it still matters. And, and I think people derive meaning from knowing that they matter and that the best leaders, as you just said, other ones that can crystallize that. You know, it's it's I, it's it's so important. I think it it's almost so simple, right? That we we take for granted when we just say like, oh yeah, of course, like meaning, purpose. But it's so powerful. And if if you look at you know one of the strongest fields in psychology or strongest theories is um, is self determination theory on motivation, which basically just says, hey. If you want people to be healthier, happier, have higher well-being and motivated, right? They need autonomy, which basically means they need to feel like they're contributing and have control. They need competency, which means they need to feel like they can get better at whatever it is they're doing. And then they need relatedness, which is essentially they need to feel like they belong. And while we can like sit here and go over like all the nuance of the things, I'm always kind of reminded that it's like, man, if you can just nail down, down those three three things, it really is that simple in terms of having a healthy like workplace, a healthy individual, a healthy sense of well-being in the world. And th- this also kind of parallels to this overarching concept that basic and easy don't mean the same thing. All of these principles you've shared so far are incredibly basic. None of this stuff is easy to do. I mean, that's why very few people do it. And those that do, very few do it uh, consistently. So let's, let's shift gears a little bit and, and talk to me now about an unbalanced life. There was something about that phrasing that I just loved. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. That came to, um, came to me and my co-writer, Brad, because we wrote this second book before the first book had been published. Mm. So we were sitting there as, as a writer, you know, you go through the writing process and then it's a long editing process and then it's a long process as you're waiting for the publisher to go through all the things that it takes to get to a book. And we were sitting there and waiting out this process. And, you know, we're both kind of driven, striving people. And we said, well, you know, why don't we work on something else? And that something else became this, this book. But in doing that, we stepped back and said, what's wrong with us? Like, why can't, why can't we just like shut it off and just like relax for the next couple months, you know? And wait for our book to come out and then we'll, you know, go on, move on to something afterwards. And what it led to is that 
you know, we have this notion of balance that, hey, we need to be in perfect balance and everything in our life has to be, you know, in sync um, at the same time. And again, looking at the research, talking to world-class performers across domains, what we found is that most of them were not balanced. And what I mean is if you looked at, zoomed into any day of their life, like it was very, very kind of one-sided on, on what they're doing. But the difference was if you zoomed out and saw over the career or lifetime, it actually was kind of balanced in the sense that like over the long haul, all the big buckets of their priorities, family, career, et cetera, were there and prioritized. They just weren't prioritized at like the same exact time and the same exact thing. So you're not going to be like the world's best basketball player, the world's best father, the world's best, you know, entrepreneur, the world's best musician all at the same time. And, and that was kind of the key takeaway. I'm, I'm reminded of um, a discussion or interview I had with Shalane Flanagan, who was a, who won the New York City Marathon was the first America in, in like decades to do so. And she put it very succinctly in the sense that like I'm balanced in the sense that like I prioritize my family and my running and those things, but I have to know when to go all in on something and what it takes to maintain something and then when to shift gears. And I think that's, that, that is the key. Like it's having that self-awareness to understand, like, am I going, am I going all in? And when do I pull, pull out of that? Because the, the, the downside of this, like driven success, you know, going all in is when we go too far in for too long, lose sight, lose perspective and can't pull out to like, say, okay, you know what? Now I got to go pay attention to my family or I got to go pay attention to this other thing over here. I'm so glad that this is the perspective you have because we share very similar sentiments. And I know, you know, every single word has a, an emotional connotation to it. And I know for me, the word balance, every time I hear that, I, I think of equality. I literally picture a triple beam scale and I think, well, if I'm going to work for eight to 10 hours a day, then I guess I'm supposed to play with my kids for eight to 10 hours a day also. And obviously, mathematically, that would be impossible. Um, so what I've, I've tried to do, especially over this last decade of my life, and you can use a variety of different words, uh, kind of work-life harmony, uh, work-life integration, work-life flow, whatever it is. But, but the, really, the key thing is I don't try to compartmentalize all of these different things. I am who I am. All of these things make up me, and all of these things are a priority. And right now, I'm with you, and my number one focus is pulling as much gold out of you as I can to serve our audience. When this is done, then I'll shift my gears and I'll be all in for whatever's next. And if that means playing in the snow with my kids, then I'm gonna play in the snow with my kids. If that means writing the next chapter to a book, then that's what it means. But I don't do a tally at the end of the day and say, were these things balanced? It's more of a kind of be where your feet are. And as soon as that light bulb went off for me, oh my God, it was like this weight vest was taken off. I just felt so much happier that I wasn't trying to punch a time clock with any of these things. I, I could just do what, what, what I was prioritizing and, and let somebody else do the tally. <laughs> you know, I, you brought up some great things there. And I think you, number one for the listeners, it's what we found is self-awareness is the key to the whole thing, which is just what you described. Like 
self-awareness allowing you to like step back and say, you know what, like, this is what works for me. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be totally focused here then shift and be totally focused here. Like that self-awareness is the key because if not what happens, and this is common and it's happened to me and it's happened to friends, um, is we kind of settle into this like muddling middling zone where we're like doing a little bit of this and doing a little bit of this and we're kind of focused on this and we're kind of focused on this over here and we think oh this is balanced because like at the same time as like writing my chapter on my book i'm like watching a you know show with my daughter or whatever or my wife or whatever have you and it's like that's it's like it's not that balance is the wrong idea it's like you said it's the understanding and the verbiage that we use is that for whatever reason balance has gotten to this idea that it's like have everything equal at the same time you know and and that is the key and what we're saying is like redefine it in the sense that like it's not about tallying it up and making sure everything's equal it's it's in that moment like learning to focus on what you need to focus on in that moment and then more importantly like being able to step away and then shift to like the next thing is not that you know is important and not carrying that last thing with you which i think happens a lot right you're so focused on work and then you go over here and your head isn't in the space of playing with your kids or whatever have you when it should be and i think that's such a huge problem and thing to you know uh, worry about. I love I love the example that you made kind of about zooming in and zooming out that when you zoom in things appear to be unbalanced but when you zoom out and you look over the long term it all kind of just falls where it needs to fall. It, for some reason that what just popped in my head is is the stock market. You know, any given day something is way up or way down especially with the volatility of an election year of the pandemic but but when you take a big step back the major blue chip stocks for the most part, over time, it's a fairly straight arrow and it's always ramping up. You know, that's still your safest bet. I mean, you know, I was looking at something the other day. I think Tesla stock is up like 11,000% over the last decade. I think it was, it, was, it was trading at like $4 a share in 2010. And I don't even know what it is now. So obviously it's exploded. Uh, so clearly, had I had a lot of money in 2010 <laughs> and put it on Tesla, I would, I would be doing much better financially. But the thing to remember is, even if I put money in it now and I, and I have the patience to wait to 2030, it's most likely gonna continue to go up. Maybe not to the degree of 11,000% growth, but it's, it's still going to go up. So we have to stop getting caught up in the day-by-day -day fluctuations and ups and downs and, and take this approach you're talking about. So man, you're, 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 hitting, you're hitting the nail right on the head. Yeah, that's such a good example. One I hadn't had, honestly thought of. So I'm going to I'm going to borrow that one from you. But I, I think that's so it, it's true because like we could get stuck in the day to day fluctuations, which happens a lot. And then what we're doing is we're essentially being reactive, right? We're reacting to like this negative feeling we get when things go up or go down. We're reacting to this like, you know, euphoria when things go up in in being in that space hampers like our decision making and also hampers our ability to it also leads to what i'd call more burnout because you're like almost it's almost like you're getting pulled and pushed like the entire time yeah versus if you're zoomed out like you're 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 noticing you're aware of what's happening 
but you're secure in where you are and who, who you are and what you're trying to do. And that security is like incredible. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm far from an investor and I'm far from a, a financial or wealth advisor. But I, I always know that when, when something causes, say, the stock market to go down or to plummet uh, and people's visceral reaction uh, is one of panic, I always remember that in theory, you don't lose any money until you cash in your chips. So I would always remember, you know, if, if you take someone in their 30s or 40s and whatever happens in the world causes the stock market to go down and they think, man, my retirement just lost 20%. Well, it's like, no, it didn't because you're not cashing it out this year. You still got another 20 years for things to, you know, get back to normal. And if, if history has proven anything, there's a very good chance that 20 years from now, you'll be up 10 to 15%. So don't worry about this minor blip. And I, I think taking that mindset just in the day to day is incredibly important. And that type of mental toughness and presence, uh, I know has helped me weather this pandemic we've been going through, which clearly hasn't been ideal for anyone, but it's kind of focus on what you can control and, and don't worry about the things that you don't. Yeah, exactly. I'm so, I'm glad you used the word mental toughness because I think, I think that's what it is in the sense that I view toughness as like having, being able to create that space to like, have that perspective, make a good decision, even when these things are going up and down, because I think far too often we uh, overemphasize the like huge emotional rush that comes with a loss or something that doesn't go our way. And the, the tough decision is to just sit there, take a step back and be like, you know what, like, this is just, this is just panic. And over the long haul, like this is going to recede go away, I'm going to be fine. And I think like having that ability or honing that ability is, it's no different than, you know, the first, if you're out of shape, the first time you go for a, a run or lift weights, that feeling and sensation of pain and fatigue is really super high. But you know, if you do it over time, that, that sensation is going to come down to a level of like, oh, I know what I can manage and what I can't. So it's not over-indexing on like, oh my gosh, like something really bad happened today or like, oh my gosh, my stocks went down this much. It's knowing that like, okay, you know, if you zoom out over the long haul, you know, the long haul, this, this little blip isn't that much. And with that mindset, I mean, you're, you're making, you're sparking all of these, these thoughts and I'm, I'm so thankful to have this conversation. Uh, it's very similar to if, if your goal is, is to be physically fit, not necessarily to be an Olympic athlete, but just to be a fully functioning human being as you get older, it's kind of this same concept. You know, and I used to say this when I was in the training days, you know, one meal doesn't make you fat. <laughs> like it's, it's okay if you want to have, go enjoy some pizza with your children, you know, in the moment you might be able to say, okay, this was not the best eating day that I've ever had. But when you, you zoom back out and you look over the course of your life, no one will even recognize the little dot that was pizza that one night. And, and obviously, if that becomes consistent where now most of your meals are unhealthy, you'll have a problem. But, but same thing, even from a workout standpoint. You know, I try to be physically active most days, but there's some days I'm just not feeling it. And, and I've learned to be able to say, I'm going to take today off. I'm going to come back with some more fervor tomorrow. But the, the hardest thing for me was to do that guilt-free. And to not feel guilty about taking today off and, and not falling to this, this mindset of, well, I'm, I must be lazy, or maybe I don't want it bad enough. And just saying, you know what, 
today's not my day. I'm going to take it off and I'm going to come back tomorrow and be a little bit better version of myself. So th this concept of zooming in and zooming out, I think is vital, not just to happiness, but, but to this sustainment of peak performance. Yeah, you know, you're hitting on a lot. You got my brain going here, which, which is great, which is why I love having this conversation. Um, but it, it, it's interesting because we tend to over-index on the things that like, oh, I need this big breakthrough to, to reach this performance. But if you look at performance, whether it's, you know, athletic performance, whether it's success over the long haul, whether it's happiness, what generally results is a lot of very small things stack up upon each other for like month on month on month. That's where the performance comes. So like when you understand that, you realize that, hey, if like I, I like am fatigued, tired, I'm not going to work out today. It's not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things, as long as you're like consistent around it, right? If I have a pizza, it's not as a big deal in the grand scheme of things, as long as I'm consistent around it. But where people run into the problem is where they, again, over-index on that guilt or that, that, like, that feeling and sensation that comes with it, where then it derails their consistency afterwards. I've seen this so many times where someone says, oh my gosh, I'm so guilty for like doing this one wrong thing, right? And then it becomes like this fear that comes with like, oh, I can't miss a day or I can't like indulge in, you know, a pizza every once in a while because I have this fear associated with it. And then your motivation shifts from doing it because like you want to, you want to get better to a place of like fear of like, oh, I have to do this because if I don't, like all this guilt is going to come with it. And then what inevitably happens is when your motivation shifts that way, your performance tends to plummet over the long haul. Well, guilt and shame are such toxic feelings. And, you know, I, I've really tried to work hard over the last several years in particular to try to rid myself of those things and, and to give myself a little more grace and compassion um, that, that when something doesn't go my way or I make a boneheaded mistake or a poor decision, uh, just moving to the next play, not beating myself up over it, you know, because on a moment by moment basis, we always have an opportunity to make a new decision. So even if you have not just a bad day, you have an awful week, you know, you, you sleep in, you don't get any workouts, you've been eating unhealthy food. In a moment, you can decide to change that trajectory. And, you know, it doesn't do you any good to keep looking backwards and saying, oh, last week was such an awful week and feeling guilt and shame. Just saying, yeah, last week wasn't my best week. I can start anew anytime that I want. And, and I'm going to choose right now with this meal or with this workout. And, and I think in doing so, we take a lot of the pressure off of, of ourselves and, and, and trying to be perfect because it's, it's unattainable. So I, I threw perfection out the window a long time ago. What motivates me now is progress. And, and is my arrow kind of like the long-term stock market continually going up? And can I tell you that if you and I do a, another interview one year from today, I will be a better version of myself one year from now, pretty much across the board. And I say that uh, not lacking humility, but with a full confidence that I know the arrow is going to keep going up if I keep doing these things. And will I have a few bad days and bad moments and bad weeks between now and next year? Of course I will. But that's not going to derail the, the overall progress. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that is the best perspective to have. And, you know, if I think of, you know, we touched on mental toughness, but I think of it as, as we'll go with basketball. 
Um, one of the things that makes, you know, basketball players tough is the ability to miss a shot and then instantly get over it. You know, like that's the key. Because if, if you don't, if you miss a key, key shot and then it lingers and it lingers and it lingers and it grows, your performance just plummets, right? And, and the really good ones, the really mentally tough ones are able to miss a shot and miss another shot and miss another shot and just put it, put it behind them yeah. and keep doing what they're, they're trained and meant to do. The others like spiral downwards, right? The ones who aren't as mentally tough kind of spiral downwards because they let that sensation linger. Yes. And I think that that's what we're getting at here is that can apply to every aspect of your life is we're inevitably going to fail, have poor days, like just have days where we, we get nothing done, like days where, mm -hmm. you know, I binge on Netflix for hours and, yeah. and can't do anything else. And that that's okay. But it's like giving yourself that permission to not feel the shame, not feel the guilt and move on and get back to the thing that you like to do and not let it linger over time so that it derails you. As long as you don't get derailed and you're still making progress, you're going to end up just like you said, a year from now being a better version um, than yourself because you've stacked all these like pretty good days on top of each other instead of just saying like, oh, I'm going to try per perfection every day. That doesn't work. I've heard that called a whiteboard memory where no matter what's on the whiteboard, you can just take the eraser and it's gone. And, and I think that's incredibly vital. I actually think that's what makes in basketball in particular, but you can see it in tennis and golf uh, quarterbacks, you know, it's just that next play mentality that the last play that just occurred has nothing to do with this play unless I let it, you know, it's, it's that mindset of, you know, flipping a coin. You know, I, I've done this with my kids before. If I get five heads in a row, what's the percentage chance that it's going to be heads on the next one? And of course, they're trying to do this complicated formula. And I'm like, well, it's 50-50 every time. It doesn't change based on what happened in the past. Every single time you flip it, it's the same thing with kids. You know, people are like, well, I've had four daughters in a row. I'm going to have a son this time. I'm like, well, that's not how biology works. <laughs> you know, what you did the four previous times doesn't dictate what's going to happen this time. And and we need to have that same mindset. And, and one other thing I'll think of, and then we can, we can put a bow tie on this amazing conversation. I know for me, especially with writing, that I almost find, and procrastination might not be the right word, but I let my subconscious mind do a lot of the heavy lifting. So like I've got a chapter that I want to have done by next Monday, and it's about how we can use stress to our advantage. That's kind of the theme. So I've got a couple of words that I have in my iPhone in the notes section. And I haven't been sitting down trying to crank it out. What I've been doing is just over time, just letting my subconscious mind start to work on that. And I'll take a note here or there. And then I'll sit down Monday, a couple hours before it's due. And I'll just crank it out because I've been this cumulative effect of everything that's going on. And the reason I say that is sometimes people, I believe they, they use the word procrastination as synonymous with lazy or apathetic and, and I found that for myself, I actually work better that way. That if you told me right now to crank out two paragraphs on a topic that you give me, it won't be my best work. But if you give me that now and you plant the seed and I ask you if I can turn it in a week from now and I don't do anything tangible for six days, on that seventh day, I'll crank you out the best work that I'm capable of. So it's another one of these things where we, we can't let what society tells us to be the way to work. Because generally speaking, I don't consider myself a procrastinator. 
but I do procrastinate in certain strategic ways. And I, I think I work best that way. Yeah, you know, it's such a great example. And there's actually some good science behind that quickly is that like, what all the research shows is that if you put in some work to understand something, and then step away and give yourself your subconscious, almost room to like process that and make sense of it, you're more likely to get creative answers, you're more likely to have aha moments. That's why a lot of you know, you look through history, a lot of the best writers, thinkers, scientists, like come up with their breakthroughs on like walks, right? Because their mind is just allowed to do something else and subconscious allows allowed to process it. And I'm the, you know, I'm the same way in the sense, um, a lot of whenever I'm stuck on a writing thing, that that's my signal not to dig deeper. It's my signal to like, just put it aside, like, don't even think about it for a while. And then I'll come back to it. And you know, maybe a week, maybe a two weeks, whatever have you. And all of a sudden, I sit down, I'm like, Oh, this is this, this makes sense. Now, this is the direction I need to go. So I think you're right. I think that a lot of times, uh, for whatever reason, we we almost equate some of these ideas with like moral failings of like, oh, I'm being lazy. But if you reframe it and say, hey, I'm just giving my brain the space to process it, to make sense of it, then you're, you know, you're looking at a great thing, no different than if I'm learning a skill, let's say shooting a basketball. Again, the research shows like, yeah, I should practice it a bunch. But then when my brain makes sense of it and consolidates it and makes it like ingrained, is actually when I'm like sleeping and resting and allowing my brain to like go through and like wire all these things and process it so that next time I, I come back, I'm like, oh, that thing I'm struggling on, like this shot feels easy. It feels good now. No different in terms of, you know, mental pursuits and writing and all that stuff. That ultimately, I think uh, you unconsciously just brought us back full circle to put a nice pen in this, which is what you just described is how you described LeBron at the very end of our conversation about being very strategic about when to turn it on and when to turn it off. And that he's smart enough to know that he just doesn't need to be running around like a chicken with his head cut off just for the sake of showing everyone that he cares and he's giving a great effort. He's willing to walk or do a mild jog when it's unnecessary so that he can be at a full sprint when it's absolutely required and necessary. And I think it's the same approach. Uh, you don't need to just write a crappy paragraph just because you're supposed to. Why don't you let it breathe? Why don't you walk or mildly jog until it's time to sprint and then it will, will be your best work. So uh, any parting thoughts or anything you wanna share to end things on your end? Cause this was, this was one of the most fulfilling conversations I've had in a long time. No, I, I think, you know, I'm so glad you wrapped it up like that. Cause I think that's such a, again, it's an easy concept, but it's such a powerful message that if you can wrap your head around it. And I think the one thing you said there that's so important is that LeBron doesn't let like some stats or some other person saying, oh, he's not hustling or whatever influence them. Like he knows like, this is the best way for me to, you know, utilize my talents and abilities to give my team the best chance to win. And he does that. And I think like having the confidence and giving yourself the permission to do that is so important. So it's finding what works for you and then almost like getting out of your way by giving yourself permission to do it. And now a word from our sponsors. I've spent the last two months reflecting on ways that I can better serve you. As a professional keynote speaker, author, and content creator, my goal is to add as much value as possible to you personally and professionally. 
to help you maximize your performance individually and organizationally. To do so most effectively, I've decided to shift my focus away from traditional social media. While I will continue to post on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, I'm reserving my best stuff and my newest stuff exclusively for this podcast, my full timeout email newsletter, and my YouTube channel. I recommend you subscribe to all three so you don't miss a thing. And I give you my word, every episode of this show, every email newsletter, and every video on YouTube will help you and your team raise your game. You can subscribe to this show in whatever platform you prefer. You can join my email tribe at allensteinjr.com and you can subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com backslash Jr. I hope you decide to join the movement. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for investing your time with us. I hope this really helped you raise your game. If it did, would you be kind enough to do me a favor? As soon as you hit stop, will you please leave an online rating and review? Feel free to give it five stars and say something like this. That was awesome. <laughs>